during a lot of the summer, we've been looking at what I've labeled questions that Jesus asked. The scriptures tell us that he, Jesus asked over 300 questions that are recorded for us in uh, the scriptures. And each of them has a, a, a specific uh, uh, purpose in that. The reason that Jesus asked questions is not because he is in need of knowledge, but he asked questions because we are in need of knowing ourselves. And so this morning we come to a very important question, one of the most simple and yet profound questions in all of Scripture, a question that Jesus asked of Peter at the end of John chapter 21. Uh, Our text this morning will be taken from that passage. Uh, In a moment, we'll be reading from it uh, after we pray, but it'll be looking at verses 15 through 17. But as we come before God now, let's pray that we would not come merely with our own intellect, but that God's Spirit would be at work uh, within us as well. Father, as we come, we do come with great thanksgiving for a day that you have given to us, a day that we can rejoice and be glad in, a day that you have promised renewal. And as we come and we've offered to you praise that you are worthy to receive, we also come now to offer to you our lives, praying that your word that you have given to us would search us, would reveal ourselves to uh, ourselves, for you already know us. But even as you reveal ourselves to us, may you then renew us, giving us strength, molding us, shaping us, we, by the power of your spirits, in conformity to your word, might more and more become like Christ. Father, use this time, we pray, and use us to the glory of your name. Amen. If you've ever had a difficult conversation, if you've ever felt that gnawing dread and anticipation of a difficult conversation that you were about to have, you probably understand how Peter was feeling at this moment. The anticipation was incredibly thick. It was a conversation that had been a long time in coming, long time as in uh, several days, a couple of, of weeks. Uh, the, ever since that night on which our Lord had been betrayed, When the disciples had gathered together and Jesus not only demonstrated for them to be great is to become low by washing their feet, uh, but also told them that he would be betrayed and that he would die. And with that great proclamation that certainly was stunning to them, Peter was the first one to speak, the only one that's recorded to have spoken up. And he looked around the room, and then he looked at his Lord, and he said, Lord, even if all of these others should walk away from you, I I never will. Jesus responded, Peter, I'm going to tell you the truth. Before this night is over, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. And Jesus was right. Now they had already had a few encounters. Jesus, who was betrayed, the kangaroo court, mock trial, convicted, crucified, died, and was buried. 
had risen again from the grave. And Peter and the other disciples had actually seen not only the empty tomb, but seen the risen Lord. But this conversation had still not taken place. The disciples went back to their regular business, back fishing. In the first part of the chapter leading up to what we're going to look at this morning, we see the disciples were back out fishing. One evening when they were out on the shore, as the morning was breaking, they saw this figure on the shore, and he yelled out to them, so did you catch anything? And unlike any, like most fishermen, they said no. Most fishermen would have said, well, we had to throw them back, even if they had nothing, but they said, we've caught nothing. And so the man on the shore says, then throw the net over to the other side. They figured, why not? They did it, and they began to pull in a haul that they later counted in record numbers of 153 fish. John, the writer of this gospel, who refers to himself throughout this gospel as the one whom Jesus loved, was the first to recognize that the one on the shore was Jesus. This has happened once before. And so as he says, it's the Lord. Peter, now all of a sudden the light going on, Despite any dread that he had of this confrontation that was to come, the love that he had for the Lord overwhelming him, he jumps off the boat and then swims to shore to be reunited with his Lord. The passage tells us that Jesus had cooked them breakfast, a breakfast of fish over a fire made of charcoal. And then even... After the people were talking and, and glad to be back together, I mean, the group, the crowd was back together, the laughter, the stories. And Jesus takes Peter off to the side. And now comes the time of question. For Peter, he was wishing more than anything that he could take a mulligan of that night, another, a do-over, so that had the opportunity arisen, he would not deny the one who had always been good to him, the one who had loved him in ways that he had never experienced, that he had never even imagined possible. But he had failed. He had failed a friend. He had failed one who loved him. He had failed God himself. And now he's standing face to face with him. Delighted to see him, delighted to be restored to him, but feeling that shame that comes when we've blown it. And Jesus then begins the conversation, which we read in verse 15. When they had finished the breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The word of our God. This is a powerful story, not only because of the the drama and the tension that is cut through, but it is a picture of restoration, of reconciliation, of renewal, and re-empowering. It is Peter's story, but it is also the story of everyone who is trusting in Christ. For like Peter, every one of us has failed our Lord in some way. Certainly prior to coming to faith in him, he is God, so he's worthy of all honor and praise. And even if we didn't know it at the time, we didn't give it to him. And we didn't give God what God deserves, so there's a problem there. But even after coming to faith, like Peter had, Peter was the one who had first professed, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, you are the promised Messiah. And yet he had also fallen away, much like we all do at times. Perhaps not as spectacularly, perhaps not as famously, but every one of us has experienced that sense of, I have failed, I have failed those who I love, those who love me, I have failed God who has loved me. And seeing this story, it is our story. And we see how God responds to those who have failed him, but whom he loves. We see first the restoration which is a reconciliation of the relationship. Notice that it was Jesus who sought after Peter. He didn't go away and then wait for Peter to come and and beg for forgiveness. They'd had those encounters before, but now it was Jesus who sought out his disciples. They had gone back to where they had been before, and now Jesus had gone back to where he first had encountered them, and he's the one who calls out to them. Peter had responded by jumping in and, and swimming to the shore, But Jesus was the one who has initiated that reconciliation, that opportunity. And then Jesus serves them by cooking for them, making breakfast for them, and and feeding them. So he's the one who initiates the reconciliation for those who have, have failed him, those who have wandered from him. And then he asks the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't know whether... That Simon, son of John, caught Peter by surprise, or if he noticed it at all. It, it, it certainly is significant because he had, who was named by his mom, Simon, Jesus renamed him Peter. Simon meaning Sandy, kind of shifty, Peter being rock, and that was based on the, the, the rock foundation of the profession of recognition of, of Christ. And so now he goes back to calling him Simon again. Simon, son of John, his, his full name that he's known. And certainly that should have been a hint that there was something that was coming if Peter needed another hint. It's somewhat like when you were a kid and all of a sudden your mom cries out, you know, calls you by your full name. You know, John, Jacob, Jingleheimer, Schmidt, come home. All of your friends said, what's, you say, I got to go home. Your friends say, well, what's the problem? I don't know. But if mom's calling me by my full name, I better get there and I better get there quick. One Bible commentary simply says by the fact that Jesus is calling him by his full name. It adds a, 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 an air of solemnity to this conversation as if one was needed. 
But then the question, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And again, Bible scholars are unclear as to what the these means. We, we didn't have the benefit of seeing the, the hand gestures. And so there are some that think that he's pointing to, to the boats and to the fish, which would be a representation of his career and the fish representing resource that becomes capital and therefore wealth. Do you love me more than these? And that certainly is a possibility. And it's an important question that every one of us needs to ask. Do we love God more than we love our jobs and our careers and our resources and everything that we have? But other scholars would say it, it, that's not really in focus here, as good of a question as that may be. Do you love me more than these would seem more likely to be representative of the other disciples that he's pointing to the other disciples. And, and by that he could mean, do you love me more than you love your friends, your, your co-workers, your colleagues, the people who are around. But I think most likely, do you love me more than these, is a surgical knife right into Peter's heart. Or better yet, right into the cancer that is threatening his heart as Jesus is going to perform precision surgery to remove everything that is a danger to Peter's spiritual health and relationship with God the Father. You see, it was Peter who had boasted, even if all of those others had fallen away. Even if everyone else, I love you more than they do, I'll never do it. And so Jesus' question, do you really, do you really love me more than, than these? It was a hard question, but it was a necessary question so that Peter could evaluate two things that plague his heart. One, his foolish pride, thinking that somehow he was better than others. And then his foolish fear, as he recognized he fears what people think more than he embraces the love of God which had led to his denials, the betrayal of Jesus. It's an important question for all of us. Do we love Jesus? And Jesus is asking this question not to be mean, but it's the only way to apply the ointment to the wound is to make sure that the wound is appropriately opened up so that the ointment can be applied. He's opening him up and then He's doing it in love, and he is pouring his love and his grace into Peter in this situation. Because the reason that Peter would love Jesus is not just because of his greatness, but the scripture reminds us we love because he first loved us. And Peter, whatever was lacking in his love at that moment, which still must have been great to make him jump off the boat and swim to shore, Jesus was loving him in, in that moment. Peter's response, I don't think tepid, but perhaps somewhat sheepish, Lord, you, you know I, I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now Jesus asked the question again, 
do you love me? Peter, perhaps a little struck. Lord, you, you know I love you. And then Jesus asked the question a third time, Peter, do you love me? And we're told this one wounded Peter. He was hurt because he had to reaffirm three times, as if the first two times weren't good enough, that maybe there was something lacking. He did, maybe Jesus didn't believe him, that maybe he had wounded Jesus so much by his denial that Jesus needed the reaffirmation. We don't know exactly what was going on in Peter's mind, but one thing that we suspect and one thing that we, we would imagine is that at that moment he had a deja vu experience. Because of not only the encounter, not only the words, not only the questions, not only the opportunity to affirm his love, but here in the setting was near an open fire made of charcoals. And it had only been a few days before. The only other time that we are told that Peter was asked questions over an open fire and the detail that John had given us and gives us here over charcoal was on the night that the Lord was betrayed and the third time that he betrayed him, the third time when he was asked, do you belong to Jesus? And he said, I do not know him. We are told kind of in the passages, if you read the gospel and when we're studying uh, through John's gospel, we see that Jesus had walked out at that time, had looked across and they locked eyes immediately after Peter had denied him for the third time. Now, in the moment of his greatest failure and weakness, the situation had been recreated by Jesus. And so his greatest failure can be a complete and full redemption. He's experiencing things in his mind, in his heart, and in his senses. And there's something more going on here. Many of you are already aware, but others perhaps not. And it's important that we, we see the nature of the conversation here. Because while Jesus asked him three times, there's, there's more reason than just doubting whether Peter really understands the question or means it. So the first time Jesus asked the question, he says, Jesus, do you, I mean, Peter, do you love me? And the word that he uses is agape, which is God's love. It is an unconditional, all-encompassing love. For, and Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me? with the same love that I love you. And Peter's response is, Lord, you know I love you, but his response is not agape. It is from the root of phileo, meaning I love you like a brother, which is good. It's just not the same. And so the second time Jesus asked, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter again says, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. And the third time, when it really hurt, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you really love me like a brother? Now that would sting. Here's your profession. Do you even love me in that way? And again, Jesus is for the point of bringing full restoration and reconciliation, is confronting the issue, bringing the whole thing out in the open. And it's the questions that he asked us as well. Do you love me? How do you love me? Peter's ultimate response is not based in himself, but he says, Lord, you know all things. See, we're fickle. And our feelings sometimes get ahead of our reality. 
Peter was wise enough, despite the circumstance, to root his relationship with Jesus, not on the basis of the quality of his love, but on the hope of God's knowledge and God's love. And that's our hope as well. And so we see in this passage that Jesus initiates and Jesus restores, brings reconciliation into this relationship. But we also need to see that Jesus, when he restores, he restores fully. And so Jesus came not only to restore by reconciling the relationship, but we see Jesus also restores by renewing Peter's purpose. Notice that each time that Jesus asked the question, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responded in the affirmative each time. That each of those times, Jesus gave him a commission. He gave him a mission. He was recruiting him. He was re-inviting him to participate in the mission that he had been invited to in the first place when he first began to follow Jesus. When Jesus had said, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. The imagery has changed, but the mission remains the same. Each time, Jesus is giving him a commission and saying, feed my sheep, feed my lamb, tend my lambs. That's important for us to recognize because many of us, when we have failed have this gnawing sense that, well, you know, God will forgive me. I mean, that's our hope. That's what we claim. I'm not sure that he likes me. I'm not sure that he'll ever use me again. And then we assume that we are to spend the rest of our lives sitting on the sidelines or on the bench while other people participate in the mission of God. It would be incredibly gracious even if that's all we got to do, but you know, there's, there is joy, there is benefit of participating in the ministry that God has called us to. We grow, and we grow together as we serve the people who are around us. And so if we were merely forgiven and allowed to show up to church and offer our tithes and offerings and, and go to heaven one day, that itself would be good. Certainly better than the alternative, but that's not what God does. He restores and he restores fully, not only in relationship, but in our purpose, in our identity, in our our lives. And the mission to which Peter is charged is tend my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. There's different different expressions that all say essentially the same thing. Where Jesus says, if you love me, then demonstrate your love for me by pouring out your love for me on the people who are around you. To the people I have entrusted to your care. And so every one of us needs to ask this question, who are the people that God has entrusted to our care? Who are the people to whom God is saying, if you love me, then demonstrate it by loving those people? Well, I would say first and foremost, it would certainly be our our families, parents. It's to love your children, 
children is to love your parents and those of us whose parents are aging, then the tables return, loving your parents in, in a way that they had loved you when you were incapable of taking care of yourself, loving your spouse, the people that are closest to you, absolutely that, that has in mind. And that is not just something that we do, but at every time in every way that we demonstrate that love, every time we pour ourselves out and share and serve those who are in our family, it is a way of saying, Lord, I love you because you have loved me. But it's not limited to that. Some Bible scholars are saying that the differences, while they are in some ways insignificant, they, they, they do reflect some differences. One, he begins with, you know, feed my, my lambs, lambs being the, the helpless and the and, and, and the least here, I mean, just they're not growing up, uh, symbolizes the need for us to pour ourselves out in love to those who are the most helpless and the most vulnerable within our sphere of influence. Which certainly means for children and the elderly. And the scripture over and over talks about the need for the people who are the followers, the people of God, to pour themselves out in ministering to the widows and the orphans the people who are the most outcast, by doing so, we are demonstrating a love for God. Tend my sheep, it's about the community, loving one another, those who are in the household of faith, that we are to love one another. And then feed my lambs. And we're reminded that Jesus had said back in John chapter 10, look, I have other sheep who are not yet of this fold and somebody must, needs, they need to be brought in as well. And so when we take this whole thing, Peter has been given a, a charge that is not only to him, but to all who are followers of Jesus Christ, that when we recognize the love of God, when we are reconciled to God because of what Jesus Christ has done, when we want to say, Lord, I do love you, even if my love is inadequate, even if my love is not yet what it can be, when I recognize your love and I want to love you, you said, here's how I can do that in a way. I can intentionally love anyone who is in my sphere of influence, whether they are in my immediate family, whether they are people that nobody else would possibly love, even if they are at the ends of the earth, they are part of this trifold commission that Jesus is giving to Peter. And that Jesus gives to his church. We know that because later on, Peter got this message. And as he's writing in his own epistle, he takes this charge and he gives it to the church, particularly as he's writing to the elders among them and he's saying, feed my sheep. The church of Jesus Christ exists to feed the sheep, the lambs, those whom God loves. That's not only ourselves, but it's the people who are all around us. Whenever I see this passage, I am marvel at it. In this passage, not only do we see a, an assurance of the restoration and the reconciliation and the relationship that we can have with God, but we also see illustrated for us 
what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We make it so difficult sometimes. We want conferences and seminars and notebooks and checklists and to-do lists. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, do you love me? First and foremost, our relationship with God. Yes, Lord. Then love the people who are around you. That's what Jesus wants. That's what Jesus wanted for Peter. That's what Jesus wants for you. Father, I pray that you would bless us with understanding of this passage, not so much the details, but the scope and the message. I pray, Lord, for all who are here because we have all failed you, but particularly to those who feel far from you. It may not show in their demeanor and it may not show in their activity, but deep in their hearts, they fear they can never be made whole again, at least not this side of heaven. I pray, Lord, that we would see in this passage that no matter how grievously we have hurt you and failed you, we are not alienated from you if we will receive your love. Nor are we disqualified from participation in your body or in your mission. I pray, Lord, that we would see that our first priority is to love you, God, our God, with all of our heart, our mind, and our strength, and to love you as you have loved us, and yet recognizing that, like Peter, we may love you because you've loved us, but our love is not yours. May we grow in the way that we love you. May we recognize in this that you are not in need of anything, And so when we want to give thanks to you for our love, you have given us a way to do so. So may we love those whom you love. May we love our neighbors and the nations. Not with just some confession, but with a very real, demonstrable, and tangible love as you have loved us. May we meet their needs and serve them out of love, but above all, may we also help them, whether they are believers in you who need to be reminded that you have reconciled us, or whether they are people who have never known you, that they can be reconciled to you simply by trusting in your love, perfectly demonstrate as you poured out your own life on the cross. Lord, we pray that you would bless us, reconcile us, restore us to the joy of our salvation, and empower us for the mission to the glory of your name. We pray in Christ Jesus, our King. Amen.